From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shep, budget and appropriations reporter. And I'm sure you've all heard the jokes about infrastructure week because it seems to be a perennial event in Washington in recent years and we never get an infrastructure package. But infrastructure week came in a big way this week. And it really, it's looking like it's now going to be infrastructure year, Jen, because this package is a smorgasbord over $2 trillion of new spending that President Biden wants. It's going to take months and months for Congress to deal with this. It's already gotten ugly. We're in for a long ride here. Um, we should explain. So that's what we want to talk about today is, is what's in this infrastructure package and how Democrats hope to pass it, how tough it might be, uh, and what the game plan is. This is over $2 trillion, kind of an eye-popping figure uh, that would be spent over eight years. Uh, and it's really what they're calling infrastructure is very broadly defined because it goes way beyond what we think of as traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, uh, that kind of thing. And it includes a, encompasses a lot of other, other stuff that Biden wants to do. I mean, road and bridge repair is about $115 billion, but then there's over $200 billion for housing. Uh, there's $300 billion to strengthen the manufacturing industries. There's $100 billion for retraining of workers. There's $400 billion for long-term care for the elderly and disabled. I mean, it, it's a really broad smorgasbord of stuff. Uh, and it would be financed over 15 years, which is a very unconventional approach here. There's going to be a lot of fuzzy math involved, paid for mostly with uh, tax hikes on corporations. So this is a this is a huge package, and it's going to be a really hard thing for for Democrats to push through anytime soon. This is a pretty substantial um, spending request from the Biden administration, but it sounds like they're approaching this in a much different way than they approached the one point nine trillion request for coronavirus relief. We've heard from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki and others in the administration that they are going to take a little bit more time to try to negotiate this with lawmakers in Congress. Um, this sort of rough timeline right now is that they'd like to see some type of progress by Memorial Day, that they'd hope this package would be able to pass during the summer. But as we all know, Congress moves on its own timeline, especially with large spending packages. They rarely meet their annual deadline on the government funding bills. And Summer in D.C., at least weather-wise, tends to last into October and sometimes November. And so it sounds like there's this is going to be kind of a slower negotiating process and a slower um, potentially amendment process to an infrastructure bill than that kind of quick turnaround that the administration and congressional Democratic leaders wanted to see with that pandemic aid package, which they said was you know really needed to address um, healthcare and economic issues caused by coronavirus. And so that is one of the things that's going to be happening in the coming weeks. 
Um, there's, you know, Republicans have largely panned this. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been in his home state of Kentucky all week, and he called it a, quote, bold left-wing administration, and he said that he's planning to fight them every step of the way. He also said that he believes that infrastructure um, should be what the country can afford right now um, and not, quote, whack the economy with major tax increases or run up the national debt. And so this is something that, you know, if they want to move this package in any way with bipartisan support is going to take a lot of negotiating with Republicans. Yeah. I mean, as I've been very skeptical that bipartisanship is possible at all here. And I thought the table was pretty much set on that when, you know, when they couldn't do pandemic relief in a bipartisan way. Seems to me if you can't do emergency relief and for a pandemic in a bipartisan way, the odds of doing anything else in a bipartisan way seem very doubtful. Infrastructure was the one place where leaders on both sides had been hoping that bipartisanship is possible because both parties like infrastructure projects usually. Um, But Republicans have already made clear this is a non-starter for them, as you point out. Uh, And beyond how much money Biden wants to spend, you know, that was going to be problematic enough to reach a bipartisan deal. But paying for it with these tax hikes on corporations, I think, could be a nail in the coffin for Republicans. They they don't want to stomach that at all. Uh, you know, Biden's plan here calls for raising the corporate rate from 21% to 28%, sort of halfway back to where it was before Trump cut it. Um, and then some other, some minimum taxes that he would impose on multinational corporations and some loophole closings that he says would pay for this roughly $2 trillion plan, but it would take 15 years to pay for um, so for Republicans, that's, that's already a non-starter and, and they're just coming out all over the place against this thing, which seems to indicate that a bipartisan deal is now very, very unlikely. Uh, I mean, Biden would pretty much have to scrap this plan and start again and negotiate from the ground up to get Republican support. Which brings up the famous issue of reconciliation, Jen, because clearly the way Democrats have any hope of passing this thing now is by resorting again to the reconciliation tool that avoids a Republican filibuster, and that's what they're already looking at. This is going to present its own obstacles to congressional Democrats in the Biden administration if they don't have Republicans on board with some type of infrastructure package, however large it may be, whatever the pay-fors may be, they're going to need to keep all the Democrats in the House and in the Senate in line on voting for whatever the final product is, because obviously the Senate is evenly divided 50-50. Democrats, I think, could technically right now lose one, maybe two of their members in the House and still pass this. And there's, you know, a lot of requests coming in from moderates and progressive Democrats uh, critiquing various elements of this plan, as well as the overall spending level. We've heard from a few progressives that they really want to see more than two trillion, some numbers as high as 10 trillion in infrastructure spending, and that they want to see, um, you know, 
kind of like you were saying earlier, this is a broad definition of infrastructure. Progressives are saying they have an even broader definition of what is infrastructure in the country right now, and they want to see various other proposals. And then, of course, we've been hearing from Democrats in high-tax states like California, New Jersey, and New York about the state and local tax deduction provision that was in Republicans' 2017 tax bill that they want to sort of flip back um, to, you know, the previous structure for high-tax states with respect to SALT. And that's something, you know, Speaker Nancy Pelosi represents a California district, and this is a big issue in states like California. And so she has been pretty vocal that she would like that provision in this package ultimately, but that's not, that SALT provision isn't necessarily seen by progressive Democrats as something that would make the tax code fairer and more equitable. So within the Democratic caucus, that's going to be a really uh, potentially tense and complicated debate going forward. And that's just one provision of dozens, um, not only on the spending side of this infrastructure proposal, but on the, you know, how do you pay for it? What type of revenue do you increase and how do you increase that revenue? Yeah. And you're talking about this is removing the $10,000 cap Republicans imposed on state and local uh, taxes for, for a federal tax deduction. Huge divisive issue. And then every Democrat gets to be a, a kingmaker here or a queenmaker because they need every single Democratic vote if they're going to do it through reconciliation, uh, as you say. So it makes things really tough. And they are so reliant on the reconciliation tool now that Democrats have been considering actually trying to pass a revised budget resolution for the current fiscal year, which they've already adopted, uh, to get an, an extra crack at reconciliation. It gets very complicated procedurally, but they think they can do that, and we're awaiting a ruling from the Senate parliamentarian on that as to whether it's possible they haven't settled on a strategy, but it just shows you the lengths to which they're going now to get creative, to find as many ways, as many bites of the apple out of reconciliation as they can, because there's just no bipartisan cooperation in evidence at all right now. Yeah. And I think Democrats attempt to use the fiscal 21 budget resolution for at least two sets of reconciliation instructions is really fascinating when we try to figure out what they're going to be doing with key legislative goals during the rest of the 117th Congress. They already had the option of using the fiscal year 22 budget resolution and next year's fiscal 23 budget resolution for potentially three rounds of reconciliation instructions in this Congress alone, which is a lot. Um, you know, you have to sort of meet the various uh, parameters and restrictions of using the reconciliation process when you move legislation that way. But that was already going to be, you know, a lot of sort of Democrat-only uh, legislation that they had the opportunity to move this Congress. And so Democrats trying to kind of revise their first budget resolution to give them another option for reconciliation instructions is really kind of fascinating at looking at you know, whether or not they think they can get any bipartisanship this Congress on legislation that has to do with revenue spending or the debt limit, which, of course, are the three broad categories lawmakers are allowed to address through the reconciliation process. And then, of course, we're just going to have a big ideological fight here 
over what is it worth spending money on when you talk about infrastructure. Uh, Biden is is presenting this package as this all-encompassing sweeping measure that he says is going to do everything from you know, leading the economic boom to helping fight climate change to advancing racial equity and promoting American competitiveness in the world against China. Uh, I mean, he's, he's really going big and broad. And Republicans are saying, hey, hey, hang on. We want better roads and bridges, but that's about it. <laughs> and they don't want to see a climate change agenda in here. And that's and Mitch McConnell is saying this thing is a Trojan horse because what they're calling infrastructure, if you look inside, is is all this other stuff that we don't agree with. And so you're going to have big ideological fights over how much of this package is really needed and what levels of spending there should be, much less how to pay for it. Uh, but they can't even agree on what's needed. And we should probably just remind people that this is just sort of the first um, proposal that the Biden administration is coming out with about its, you know, with respect to its, quote, build back better agenda, right? We know that possibly later this month in April or potentially in early May, they're going to be rolling out what they refer to as kind of the second infrastructure proposal. That's going to be pretty substantial legislation as well. And then, of course, we're also looking forward to when the Biden administration releases their government funding request for fiscal year 2022. And so there's going to be, you know, a few additional spending proposals coming out of the Biden administration in the coming months. And we've already heard from Republicans and some more moderate Democrats that they have a lot of concerns about the amount of deficit spending the federal government is taking on as the coronavirus pandemic starts to sort of move from the center and the front burner of everyone's mind. And as vaccinations roll out, people start to look at, you know, what comes after this in terms of government spending um, on issues that might not broadly be considered emergency spending. And so I think, you know, especially as we head towards the end of that two-year two debt limit extension in early August, all of these conversations about what the government spends funding on how much deficit spending is acceptable and, you know, how lawmakers are going to approach these, you know, series of, you know, multi-trillion dollar spending bills is going to potentially really, uh, you know, clog up the legislative works within Congress. Right. And that's exactly why this is going to be such a heavy lift, uh, you know, and, and they've already passed over $5 trillion in pandemic relief. Now they're asked to pass this $2 trillion infrastructure package. And then in just a few more weeks, Biden's expected to come out with the second half of this recovery package that could be another $2 trillion on top of the annual spending bills. Uh, it's a lot. Uh, and so they really are going to have their hands full here. It's not going to be easy at all, even if they use reconciliation. So there's a lot on their plate to get this done uh, with no easy answers. I don't, that's why the details of, of Biden's proposal are less important, I think, than the thrust of it, because this package is going to be rewritten probably a million times between in the coming months as they try to put this plan into actual legislative text. Um, but they have the work cut out for them to build any kind of even simple majority support 
um, that, that they can push through it and a squeaker of a vote in the evenly divided Senate, much less in the House. Even in the House, I think the only Democrats only have three votes to spare uh, to have a to have a majority vote. So a really tough time ahead in the, in, in, in the next several months. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>